I know you want to get to the show, but just a reminder that we need your help to amplify our efforts. If you like the show, share it with your friends. If you see a, a post on Facebook, just share that. That's going to help us reach your people. And if you like our Facebook page, we'll reach even more people and you'll stretch our marketing dollars. Literally, we spend dollars. And if you're on Twitter, which we barely ever use, uh, why don't you create a spam account from us that automatically uh, forwards, uh, mentions all of our shows to all of your friends? I think if we just converted the entire website of Twitter to just like a a collection of bots all working opera box scores world will the world would be a better place and you can that does sound like a totally reasonable thing to ask <laughs> people that we barely know and just think about how much better it would make uh the next six months of our lives to and, not have things besides opera box score on twitter and you can complain <laughs> on twitter about how we never provide the links to things we say we're going to put on our website live from chicago you're listening to Opera Box School. Let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, welcome to America's Talk Radio Show that's normally live, but just a podcast for now about opera, period. From the Ravenswood studio right here on the north side of Chicago, I'm your host, George Cedarquist. Connecting you via video conferencing technology with co-hosts Oliver Camacho, Matt Cummings, and Weston Williams. All right, tonight, a supersized conversation with one of the most recognizable voices in opera podcasting. Stay tuned to hear the honeyed tones of baritone Michael Mays as he joins our panel to discuss the content that opera companies are sharing with audiences who are starved for opera and how they've pivoted online with strategies in the wake of COVID-19. Two-minute drill. Does your shelter-in-place have enough Marian Anderson? Did our panel of renowned scientists speak too soon about choral concerts? All that and more. Two-minute drill. The Bundesliga, which is the German soccer association, is back in action without fans. This is perhaps the first sport in the world to return to to playing in the pandemic era. Do yourself a favor, go look at photos of these games. It is the strangest thing in the world. I hope they don't regret it, the players. I said this a couple weeks before on the show. It takes hundreds of people to put together a single sporting event and that's without any fans. This is a complex, complex thing. Are we going to see football, as in American football, played in our country without any fans come September? The NFL would like you to believe that. The NCAA would like you to believe that. I would like to believe that. My hope is that the Bundesliga can figure things out. The rest of us can learn from that. Uh, not sure if the German opera houses are going to maybe take a page out of the Bundesliga book as well. That doesn't make any sense. All right, let's talk some opera. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. We're going to get right to our Chalk Talk double header with Opera Online. Which companies have archival performances to dole out? Which platforms are distributing these videos? And with none of that technical ability baked in, 
which companies are pivoting to educational content, other branded non-performance content. We invited Baritone Michael Mays to be part of the discussion. Before we get to it, here's a little sample of Michael Mays singing in Jake Heggie and Gene Shear's opera, Out of Darkness. A hundred thousand stars, love, have fallen from the sky. A hundred thousand dreams gone, a hundred thousand smiles, a hundred thousand whispers, promises and lies. The constellations change, our stories rearrange, and darkness fills the sky. Baritone Michael Mays is known for his acclaimed portrayal of Joseph Desrochers in Jake Heggie's Dead Man Walking, Jake Heggie and librettist Terrence McNally's Dead Man Walking, which he performed to acclaim all over the galaxy, literally. Other 21st century operas Mays has championed include Jake Heggie and Gene Shears Out of the Darkness, Jake Heggie and Terrence McNally's Great Scott, Joby Talbot and Gene Shears' Everest, and Tom Chapulo's Glory Denied. Mays recently moved deeper into dramatic repertoire, including Verdi roles in Rigoletto and Trovatore, Alfio and Cavaliere Rusticana, and the title role of Wozzeck. I first met Michael when he was the host of the Texapolitan Opera Podcast, and then OBS took over as the opera podcast. But now <laughs> the Dallas Opera gave him another platform. And he's the host of The Quick on the Dallas Opera Network. Welcome, Michael Mays. Mays oh, the those foolish, foolish people. What were they? What were they thinking when they put me on? <laughs> oh, God. Why would you do that? What terrible mistake they what, made. What happened to the Texapolitan? Uh, you know, man. Like when I started that podcast, you know, I had a lot of free time. You know, because I started that thing around 2010, and things were sort of. You know, that, that's when things were, it was a different time for Mike Mays back then. Yeah. <laughs> and as things started to pick up, you know, especially doing as much new uh, new works as I was doing. Well, man, I was spending so much time learning music. You know, I, there, there was times when I did, you know, six, six roles in six months and four of them were brand new. So. I just didn't have the time to do it anymore. Yeah, you're sort of like I missed it. You're sort of like I was, the I was, go-to. You know, it was kind of the cool thing about COVID. <laughs> you're sort of the go-to American baritone for new operas. It's like you're the muse, and you don't even get naked anymore. Well, I mean, I don't know about that. I mean, there's a lot of us. I mean, I think baritones are the kind of the go-to muse for sort of modern American opera. I think it has a lot to do with the, the range, you know, because it's sort yeah. of in the spoken range. You know, it's the voice, and uh, I just. You know, I fell in love with this stuff early on and was a really, you know, I was a champion of this of this kind of repertoire early and I always have loved it. And it just worked out that, you know, the rest of the world caught up with us. And now, you know, they're doing it all the, everywhere. You know? And now, the, now that we're looking for small forces stuff. And now the baritones are fully in charge. So uh, Oliver Watch and it. Matt can leave the podcast. <laughs> it's all me. That's right. And, well, T-bone steaks and bourbon all around. (laughs) You might think that you want that, but I think you'd regret it if you got it. No, I don't want that. You know? 
So we've wanted to have you on the show for a long time, but uh, especially now, uh, I was uh, in the audience for the COT Inner Workings panel on which you were featured with um, Annie Rosen and uh, Jamie Barton, and um, I forget the other mezzo-soprano who was on that show that day. But uh, it was it was hosted by Lydia Yankovskaya, and you had a lot to say about... Um, where we are right now in terms of uh, opera and how to get back on stage and what we're offering these days. And we're going to talk about that in the in the next segment. But we wanted to begin talking about some of the things that we can find online. And I'm going to start really quickly with some of a rundown of some of the North American companies and what they're offering in terms of archival performances. And obviously, the Met is the gigantic institution that you cannot escape. And so we don't need to amplify what they're doing. You know, some things, some things they're doing, I'm actually really enjoying, but we don't need to amplify everything, to do, everything they're doing. Other big organizations would be San Francisco, and they have a limited selections. Uh, Saturdays at 10 o'clock is when they are offering, Pacific time, when they're offering their streaming performance, and it's available, I think, for like 24 hours. This Saturday, May 23rd, will be Moby Dick, and next Saturday... That's a great piece, by the way. Oh. oh, yes. I had such a blast doing it in the chorus last year, and I, I couldn't believe how much fun I had. Did you do the big one or the little one? The... Christine McIntyre's or Lenny Foley's? We did Christine McIntyre's. Yeah. I was like, yeah. Is that the big one or the little one? I don't know. The little one. Okay. There's a bigger one. Yeah. Lenny Foley's is massive. So is this a production or is this uh, score? Yeah, there's only two. There's only two productions okay. of Moby Dick out there: Lenny Folios and Christine McIntyre's. Okay. And depending on what you're putting it on, I mean, the it, Moby Dick itself is a grand opera. It's got huge forces, okay. and so in order to be able to do that piece in other markets, they were smart. They pared it down, and so they have a smaller set, smaller orchestra. You know, okay, so this the, the, future of the, the score itself is also adapted. The score is still 600 pages, the yeah. vocal score, uh, even yeah, of, even of the little one. It's, it's the same length. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna pause right here, Matt. Somehow your mic became super loud. I don't know what you did, but uh, you're out of balance now. So go back to what you were doing originally, whatever that was. I didn't do anything differently. Is it just okay. from where it? Is it just from the position of my head? Like, is it, the, it is could, it different? I are you know, hearing I, I, any difference I, 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 right now? It's just it's coming in super hot. So, um, that's whatever, so weird. Whatever you were doing at the at the beginning of the test was great. All right, okay. Or just or don't talk so loud. So uh, after May, Moby Dick on May thirtieth, they have Renee Fleming and Michael Fabiano in Lucrezia Borgia. That's exciting. Los Angeles Opera uh, has sort of an evolving menu, and I'm not sure if they're their messaging is very clear in what they're doing. I think there might have been streamed productions on video, but right now you can find um, three archived audio-only productions. Uh, there's Clemente de Tito with friend of the show Russell Thomas as Tito and uh, Janai Brugger as Sevilla. There's also a La Boheme and a Carmen. And when you go to their From the Vault tab, uh, at LA Opera at home. Uh, it looks like they're going to be videos, but they're really just the audio. We've already talked about 
uh, Opera Philadelphia. They're doling out six productions, including Breaking the Waves, which premieres on May 29th. And most of that content will be available to the end of August, but some of it ends at the end of June. Very kind of Opera Philadelphia to put on Breaking the Waves just for my birthday. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Uh, I'm so excited. I think what's been great is uh, that some of these more regional opera companies uh, now have an equal footing with some of the larger companies. And I'm excited to see, when I get the time, uh, some of the stuff I would probably have never gotten to, like American Opera. Oliver? Yes. Can I shoot something in real fast for you then? Yeah, yeah. Because you you say that and it, and I, it, it brings to mind the fact that right now, uh, music of remembrance is streaming this week for a look or a touch, with me and Bob Orth and and, that, and Jake Heggie's for a look or a touch, and I don't I don't really care if anybody sees me do it, but you know Bob Orth is passed on. He's yes. one of the greatest baritones, American baritones there are. He's my hero, my mentor, my good friend, and. Um, you know, I, I got to, I got to see that come 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 through the internet this week, and so can you really can you go back and give us instructions on how to see that? You can just go to Music of Remembrance to their website. And there's okay. a they have it streaming now. And who composed that? Jack Heggie. Okay, so is that part of Gene, she- Gene Shears' librettist? Is that part of the um, as I mean, uh, to remain? Yes. Okay. It used to, yeah, it's the second half. It's okay. about Manfred and Gad. Okay. I think I might even have that on my list. Um, it's probably the last probably the last time you'll ever see me shirtless in the wor- in recorded history. It's the okay. only time. So. But Metzopano Megan Marino gets to see you shirtless. Days are, those days are those days are over, buddy. Better <laughs> <laughs> than disco, man. <laughs> so, some of the more uh boutique uh regional things that we're going to highlight here, American Opera Project until May 31st has the world premiere of Raymond Lustig and Matthew Doherty's Semmelweis production from Budapest, which is a 75-minute show about a 19th-century epidemic and hand-washing, I shit you not. Uh, you have to go to AOP TV to see that world premiere. Uh, it also advertises as one and Harriet Tubman and other productions, so I don't know exactly how you can watch those, but you can figure it out, AOP TV. Beth Morrison Projects has an Opera of the Week, which are released on Thursday at bethmorrisonprojects.org. On-site opera. Oh, who put this in here? And I looked at this. The on-site opera wash parties are um, noon. They're they're Facebook. They're watching. What are they watching on-site? Are they their own productions? I don't know. Somebody snuck this in here. This was not my... Not my recommendation, but go ahead, check out Onside Opera. I do recommend you, whoever put that in there. I just don't know. George snuck it in there when no one was looking. I just, and I've got I've got White Russian coming up my nose right now. This is great. <laughs> um, yeah, there are archive videos. I'm not sure exactly what their shows are, but I do like Onside Opera. I've never seen what their stuff is, so maybe we'll all discover that together. Here's one I put in: Boston Broke. Uh, Boston Broke right now has their Agrippina with Susanna Phillips, David Hansen, and Amanda Forsyth. And that's available free until April 27th. And then it moves, this is really smart, it moves to Amazon Prime. So if you miss it, uh, I guess I missed it because it's past April 27th. Uh, you can go to Amazon Prime to watch it. The next show they're going to put up is uh, The Coronation of Popea with Amanda Forsyth as Popea and Anthony Roth Costanzo, friends of the show, as Nero. 
I don't know exactly when that premieres, but uh, I'm very excited about that. We talked already about Des Moines Metropolitan Opera. Uh, they have sort of like a whole festival of shows uh, on four consecutive Sundays beginning June 28th, a double bill of Manon and Bon Appetit, which is crazy. I think Manon is long enough. I don't know if I need to see a double bill, but um, <laughs> Manon starts at two and then Bon Appetit, the Julia Child inspired opera. I think it's a, a shorter show that starts at 430. I mean, that's what they say, but I don't know if two and a half hours is going to be enough for Manon. I know. Maybe it's maybe they got rid of Act 4 and 5 based on my recommendation. Maybe it's like a PBS Pledge Week timing where everything actually starts 25 minutes later than they say. <laughs> uh, Rizalka is on July 5th. Billy Budd with friend of the show Zachary James is on July 12th. And Le Contorie is uh, on July 19th. And all these things start at 2 o'clock Central Time. Uh, at iowapbs.org. And if you live in Iowa, you can watch it on your TV. Speaking of PBS, uh, Minnesota Opera's 2013 production of Douglas Cuomo and John Patrick Stanley's Doubt is available uh, until June 22nd at Great Performances on pbs.org. So you go to great you go to pbs.org forward slash w-e-n-t forward slash g-perf, g-p-e-r-f, and you could see a whole menu of things available on great performances which includes the lyric opera of chicago orfe with which has dimitri korchak in the title role and is choreographed by the choreographer of the hamburg ballet john neumeyer um yeah so and there's also mass which is not an opera but uh it features (laughs) matt it's a little bit of everything (laughs) it features matt cummings in, in the pivotal role of chorister (laughs) <laughs> it that's is why my, I'm watching. it is my signature role yeah so that's if i do say so myself that's sort of what's happening uh north america i looked at some of the canadian things and we'll talk about tapestry opera uh later on in the show but um i didn't see much from mexico and canada but i could be wrong so if you're uh, listening from canada or listening from mexico please feel free to comment on our SoundCloud or on our Facebook page uh, and give us these corrections. What about you, Matt? You've prepared a list for us uh, from non-American companies. Yes. And for, uh, and the, uh, the, the big games in town for the non-American companies are really the European houses uh, given just, you know, where we are in the history uh, in, in terms of who's getting the big names, who is putting their archives online and, uh, you know, who is still fully shut down. Uh, and it's actually kind of interesting looking at this in late May because a fair amount of them are set to expire at the end of the month or early in June. And so uh, there are probably all kinds of conversations going on behind the scenes about, you know, what's going to be extended and what is not going to be extended. So uh, the main, the, the probably the closest thing that the European houses have in terms of the Metropolitan, in terms of equaling the Metropolitan Opera is the Vienna State Opera, and they have a daily stream that that is at night European time and is available for the next 24 hours. And <laughs> Night European time is the funniest so, way. Middle, to of, middle of the day. <laughs> <laughs> middle of the day for those of us on this continent. Uh, I w- some highlights that are coming up in, in, in the rest of May would be on, on Saturday, May 23rd, is... Arabella, with a cast that I saw when I was on study abroad in Vienna, and Schwana Wilms and Genia Kuhmeyer, a tongue twister and very German cast for uh, for for a, an opera that doesn't get done very much. 
there are the world's greatest opera, Don Giovanni, uh, <laughs> as as determined by opera box score, um, is going to be streamed with a variety of casts over the next couple of weeks. I would say the ones on Monday, May twenty fifth, and Monday, and uh, and May and Sunday, May 29th, have some good ones. Uh, in in on for Weston's birthday, the the greatest holiday um, is <laughs> there will be a Tristan and Isolde. Oh, it, this is going to be a great birthday, guys. I don't know about you. I know the entire world is shut down and falling apart and all that, but my birthday is going to be on point. And, and then there are a couple other opera houses that will have that that will have some sort of rotating gallery of performances that you can choose from. The Dutch National Opera has gone with that model. They have ten free streams that are available at any time over the next three months, uh, and the highlights there that in is some repertoire that you really don't see on stage that much in the United States, um, like the Shostakovich Lady Macbeth and Sense District and the Rimsky Korsakov, I think, Legend of Invisible City of Kitej, if I am saying that right, which I might be. It also, the soon to expire from the Dutch National Opera would be Dr. Atomic, which is the stream for that will work until May 24th. So check that out soon if you are a new opera buff. And then there are also some resources that are just good places to keep in mind that ki- that compile all the work in one places uh, at the risk of sounding like an old person telling, asking young people if they've heard of this YouTube thing. Uh, a, good, a good number. That, that is way. Oliver, have you heard of this YouTube thing? I, I first have to t- turn me on, teach me how to turn on my computer because I... <laughs> A decent amount of the companies are actually are, are streaming their archives by putting performances up on their own YouTube channels. That's what uh, the what Venice's Teatro La Fenice is doing. They've got they, they've got a, a, an Aida up recently that fr- from their archives. That's also how the Royal Opera House they they live stream these performances on Facebook Live and YouTube, and they'll leave them up for for a week or a couple of weeks to let the audiences continue to watch them. Uh, Royal Opera House recently streamed uh, a, a 2009 Traviata with Renee Fleming and Joseph Kalea and Thomas Hampson. And their next stream will be, that stream will be refreshed on Friday the 22nd to Sandrion with Joyce DiDonato. And they, they're just kind of cycling through their archives that way. So from a 30,000 foot view, everyone is streaming. It just depends on exactly how they're going to do it. And you've got some options between. They generally you can't go in and have total live streaming unless you're going to pay for something like Medici.tv, which is still out there. But you, now with all of this free content, uh, the best place if you're if you're looking for a library to choose from besides this uh, YouTube uh, is a website called Operavision.eu, and they have 36 different performances from from recent. Opera house, re- recent opera house streaming offerings that are kind of collected all under one umbrella. That in- it includes a lot of the Dutch national opera ones that I talked about earlier. Uh, there seems to be a big fo- focus on Russian currently. You've got Eugene Onegin, you've got the Lady Macbeth. There is also something that I know I will be checking out: the William Te- the William Tell from the Pesaro Festival with Juan Diego Flores and Marina Rebecca. Hmm. I would also say that there's a few uh, uh, proprietary sort of uh, opera companies out there that have their own sort of little streaming platforms 
that they uh, are using to uh, greater effect. The one that pops to mind uh, first is probably the Bavarian State Opera. Um, they have Staatsoper.tv, um, which uh, they uh, usually do during the season for like mat live matinees and things like that, which they should hold for like 24 hours or something like that. But they seem to be doing a new opera every week and a half, two weeks or so. Uh, I'm not sure what's going on this week, but um, I've been enjoying popping in and seeing whatever they have uh, and then popping back out again. That's, that's, a, that's a great call, Weston. I can actually yeah. tell you. I have it written down in my notes. <laughs> and y'all don't sleep on Staatsoper Stuttgart now. Oh, absolutely not. Oper trotz Corona has been trending. Yeah, we, we could have a a four-hour archive just of me reading all of the different offerings that are available from European houses. There's a great compendium from... I have to plug Staatsoper. I have to plug them because they're, they're my people. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to plug my people because they do some really cool stuff, man. Like, just just be popping in and seeing their Vintadiza and their Boris was like... It's pretty wild. Uh, and love it's, a good Boris. It, it's so fascinating to see such a wide variety of repertoire compared to what it, what was available before to us. You know, things that don't get done in the States because we have such big houses and because you have to worry a lot more about selling out your house, selling out your tickets versus getting, you know, government funding. And the wide variety of things that were nev never available before, plus just the difference in taste between what you're looking for in directing, in the direction of these productions and the, and the design and the costumes and uh, a lot of it is just riskier work than we're used to seeing. And so that is really fun to have access to, to kind of peek behind the curtain. Okay. Yeah, for, even, for... even I know we weren't going to talk much about the Met, but e even the Met is like, you know, uh, it's looking for variety because they don't, um, because, you know, when you're doing a new opera each night, it can't be Traviata six times in a row like they would <laughs> probably prefer to do sometimes. Oh. Uh, uh, that's my spicy take for the evening. Okay. Um, but uh, they 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 send out like surveys, like what should we see next? And you're seeing, uh, I think, greater access to new works that, unless you live in a major metropolitan area, you just don't get access to without the internet. Okay, I'm going to ask each of you a question. I'm going to give you time to think about it. I'm going to start with you, Matt, and I'll, I'll circle back for your answer. Matt, could you please uh, give our audience? a guide for how to find all this content? Like, what are the best resources to see the menu? Weston, what is the best way to set up your computer or to set up your, your home environment to enjoy these things here, not sitting at your desk, just staring at your computer? Like, what? how do you connect these things to your, you know, your, your larger TV or to your sound system, et cetera? And what is the best way to enjoy this? And Michael, here's a question for you that you can answer right away. What do you think the ethics are of putting these things out now for free and how artists are getting paid? And you as an artist who are now having some of your content out there, how do you feel about that not getting a second fee? Or are you getting a second fee? And is there some kind of standard now for how people are being compensated for these things? Ah, Oliver! <laughs> what are you doing to me, man? <laughs> <laughs> no, look, it's, that's, it's a really, really, really complex question. And, uh, you know, I'm involved with the Soloist Coalition, which is this wing of AGMA that's composed of soloists that are trying to sort of change the way we do things that we've, we've been, it's a fight we've been in for about five years. And like this Corona thing has kind of kicked everything into overdrive. But that's a question we get a lot. And the short answer is this. 
we, we are in uncharted territory right now when it comes to d- the digital landscape. And so what you're going to see a lot of right now are, are people sort of pushing boundaries, taking chances, taking risk, asking for favors, et cetera, until we sort of figure out what, what this is going to look like. And it's going to take a year or so for us to get used to this. And it's going to, there's going to be a lot of false starts and all this stuff. But, you know, like for instance, Dallas, you know, when Dallas is asking us to produce new digital content, they're paying us, you know, they're not just asking us to do this for exposure bucks. And so, yeah, that's, I mean, that, that, that's sort of the different approaches that there are out there. I mean, some, you, you have a lot of companies that are producing content from, that are using, that are digging up old archival footage and streaming it and stuff. And, you know, frankly, the conversation about what we do with digital content, what we do with the internet, what we do with YouTube and how we, how we make our content available to the, our audiences on a broader landscape is, is long overdue. And what coronavirus has done is given us a chance to have that conversation. And I think, you know, for me, I can't, do I think it's awkward or strange that, that all these singers that didn't get paid or for one company are singing for them and what else? Yeah. But I mean, we're all trying to, we're all trying to make sure that we have a business. We're all trying to make sure that this art form survives. And for the next like year or so, it's going to be kind of a wild west. Do you think that there's going to be any sort of, uh, uh, I mean, obviously this could be very, uh, a very sort of long-term situation, uh, we hope that it's not going to last, uh, you know, years and years and years, but it's very possible it could last a year or even two. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see any likelihood of new guidelines actually being generated on the uh, union level uh, to sort of deal with these things? Or is this just a, the opening of a conversation? No, the union, the union is, 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 has been... Really, I mean, surprisingly, like I've like I have been a, a huge critic of Agma in the past, but uh, they have really stepped up at this time and have, you know, done as best they could to deal with this crazy crisis that nobody knows what the hell's going on. And when it comes to safety and all those things, there 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 there's an active conversation right now happening to to address those issues. Now, this, the the story is, you know, we're we're looking we're going into a time when aircraft carriers are going to have a hard time correcting their course. Right. Right. But swift boats, no problem. They can turn left and right with no problem. And most of your companies that are swift boat level aren't AGMA. And they're Mm. going to be the ones out there that are, I think, pushing the limits. And, you know, I think that's right. That's what what should should happen. They're going to, they're going to like, you know, try to give us opera in some kind of form. Whether it be, you know, you see all these things about drive-ins happening and, you know, uh, outdoor spaces and things. So, you know, opera's going to happen. Opera's going to survive. All this doom and gloom, everyone's trying to be Nostradamus, but they're most of them are Nostradamus stuff. <laughs> it doesn't do any good, man. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt you to actually have a, a positive attitude and go out there and say, hey, you know what? The, the universe just gave us a bunch of new boundaries to work in. Well, if there's one thing that opera and the opera industry knows how to work within it's increasingly smaller boundaries. Mm. We know this game. We've been doing it for a while. So nobody panic, man. 
<laughs> we were gonna, we'll Nobody get to, panic. We'll get to that reminds me that, that reminds me of this meme I've seen that's like a complete list of things that are going to cure that that are going to kill the music industry, and it's like yeah. the printing press, <laughs> violin, <laughs> dancing. You're just like okay. So we're going to get to some of that uh, non-performance content in uh, our, our next segment. No, no, I'm glad that I was, I was I was Pastor Mike there for a second. No, no, you, you, you hinted at it, and I'm so glad. But uh, before we close, um, Weston, did you have a response to my question about uh, Yes, uh, my advice on the technical level um, uh, is um, obviously the best way to experience these things uh, online are to have you have the greatest experience possible. So if you've got a TV that's decent and you don't have an HDMI cable uh, or an adapter for that HDMI cable uh, to plug into a computer, now's your chance to get one. Uh, that's how I've been kind of watching most of the operas. I just plug in my, uh, my speakers, my computer into my TV and just, you know, have an, have an evening of it. Um, if you have, um, if you don't have a TV, you just have a computer, you just have your phone. Um, I would recommend looking into getting some uh, decent headphones because uh, that's uh, that's you know that's the way to sort of uh, get as much as you can. Obviously, with live performances, there's going to be uh, drawbacks in terms of sound quality. There's going to be a little bit of extra sort of things bumping around, but th this is the time to really enjoy the fact that you can listen and re-listen to pieces that you don't ordinarily get a chance to uh, to experience. And experiencing that in as high detail as you can, I think is just rewarding, um, at least for, it is for me. Uh, so get headphones, get an HDMI cable, um, and uh, plug it all in. There are various resources, you know, uh, pretty much any uh, you can Google any of those words and find something that should make sense to you to make it work. Um, and uh, happy listening. <laughs> no, nothing about uh, putting on your Sunday best and inviting your elderly neighbors. Oh no! Oh to, no! To come over to your I, house. I, I, I've been watching Boris Gudnov in uh, uh, in underwear, <laughs> eating a big bag of beans that I got from the store three weeks a ago because I'm scared beans? to go shopping. Big bag of beans. And <laughs> Boris Gud. You know what? The four bees. It's a big bag of beans and a brisket. <laughs> you can you can change from your daytime sweatpants yeah. into your evening sweatpants. So, if, I, that, if that flows your like boat. American American Idol for the woodwinds. What's going on? <laughs> on? I, I really it. recommend the Bush's baked beans, the honey ones. You like the little hun the honey flavor? That's the good stuff. They sell oh, that, that beautiful bean footage. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, and inviting over your elderly neighbors to unwrap candies while you're trying to focus. On I, was, I was trying to figure out a bit for the unwrap candy. I was like, how do we work this unwrap candy bit in? Okay, Matt. Nice work all over. Let us know um, what is the best way to find all of this content. Who, what is the, I know that we don't update our website often enough for us to put up links. So what do you recommend? Uh, the best resource that I found is the Opera Wire Compendium, which is a comprehensive list of all of the opera companies offering free streaming services. When they say comprehensive, this you can scroll and scroll and scroll before you reach the bottom of this list. And they have they have links either to the company website or to more articles that give you more information about what the offerings are. So that's a great resource. The Guardian also has continued to update their that their list uh, and and that also includes 
some distinction of what isn't isn't a new addition if you're if you've been a frequent streamer and you're checking back to see what has popped up since you last came. Uh, and it also includes the recommendations of some of their uh, music critics if you're looking for guidance because you're overwhelmed understandably by the sheer amount of options that are available to you right now. Uh, and if you're looking for something that's a little bit more structured, maybe you, I mean, we all miss going out to concerts. Uh, and while there is some freedom about being able to live stream things whenever you want, it also can be nice to have the sense that you're in it together with the audience. And the Classic FM website has a great list of uh, the upcoming live streams for classical music concerts. And we will, at the very least, tell George to update our website <laughs> with those links. <laughs> with See the what happens. That at least one of them makes it up there. All right. Well, uh, we're back with Michael Mays after this break. What started in May 2019 as a slow-burning arts advocacy and independent journalism site... Zach Finkelstein's MiddleClassArtist.com has blown to a has blown up to a critical source of COVID crisis-related arts reporting, and as of March 2020, MiddleClassArtist.com has a hundred thousand hits. He's the voice of the people. He is. Oliver heard on Opera Box Score at the site's inception. Tenor Zach Finkelstein used to write about bus the business side of singing, balancing budgets, taxes. Now he and a growing team of the real glamour of the singing world. Yes. He and a growing team of contributors write about the classical musical world, classical music world, uh, how it's on fire. That was a great reading, Oliver. Um, so, Nailed it. Yeah, so we've been um, talking about middle-class artists for a few months now, and uh, we just want you guys, our listeners, to check it out, middleclassartist.com. What, what I think is so important about the work that Zach does and kind of what it's turned into is that, like, the the business of singing has been something and when i say business i mean like business with a capital b the business of singing is something that isn't taught to you it is kind of a survival of the fittest if you're either smart enough and have enough context clues to just figure it out you do it uh if you don't then there's a really good chance that you're not going to be successful in this industry because so much of this is about self-promotion being self-made uh and so the fact that he really digs in deep and and makes it pretty transparent like here's what's going on this is how taxes are done these are the things that you need to know this is stuff that generations of singers should have had access to we would have heard so many better voices if something like this was more transparent earlier on not just me being better about not knowing this at the beginning of my career. I promise. There are so many other things that need to be too. How do you build a durable, flexible, and successful classical arts career? What is happening in the classical music world right now? Who is paying their artists in the COVID era? Who is leaving them out in the cold, firing them by tweet? What is the classical music world going to look like when the COVID epidemic is over? And how do we get there? Go to middleclassartist.com. Opera Class, Sports Radio Crass, this is Opera Box Score. So we're with Michael Mays, who has his own show on the Dallas Opera Network, which is sort of falling into our category that we're considering to be the non-performance, non-archive content that opera companies are now churning out. And before we talk about the Dallas Opera Network, Wesson... I believe you did a little research to give us sort of a handle on some of what's available to audiences. Yes. Um, it's, uh, it's kind of interesting because uh, when we sort of went over like what 
what kinds of opera-related media were available. The big things, of course, are the performances, um, but uh, the non-performance offerings are almost just as interesting to me because, in my mind, live opera is something that just can't really be done full justice through live streams. Um, Rich! Put a, pin in, uh, put a pin in that because Michael Mays has something to say about that. Oh, he does, yes. Um, so uh, uh, put that pin there. <laughs> uh, so uh, uh, I, I do think that there's potentially. Oh yeah, yeah. You got something to say, Mike? <laughs> no, I was just, I was just. That was the, that the pin hit me right there. Oh, okay, gotcha. Okay, he's bleeding. Oh God. Oh, someone get get a bandage. Uh, <laughs> I, I do think that there is uh, some opportunity for um, uh, for for that going forward. For new operas composed these limitations in mind, but. Uh, there's always going to be something missing with the core, uh, what do you consider the core repertoire, at least. So how do you focus on keeping opera alive in this trying time? Well, you have to find those components of opera that can be expressed through an online medium that opera by itself can't do. Uh, and a lot of this kind of boils down to, um, uh, you know, discussions before and after streams, um, Beth Morrison Projects has been doing a good job of uploading um, uh, videos uh, recorded by the composer, the librettist of their weekly operas, uh, things like that. Um, for the most part, you can just kind of find them attached to whatever stream you're watching. Um, but I'm a little bit more interested in some of the other stuff that's happening. Uh, there's a Long Beach Long Beach Opera is doing community conversations, um, uh, uh, which are basically just discussions, which I believe they involve an actual Q&A with the, the audience. Um, I think they're doing it on Facebook Live uh, in June. They're doing one, uh, one session on the role of social media in opera, race. Um, they're doing one on body image. Um, there, Renee Fleming on her Facebook page is doing the Music and Mind Live series. Uh, which is all about sort of the uh, confluence of health, physiology, opera, art, um, neurology, things like that. It's something that she's discussed before, but it's also, but it's an, a really sort of interesting way to bring out those aspects of opera through analysis and uh, conversation that you kind of feel instinctively, but it's not something that you notice unless someone tells you. Uh, so the biggest component of these, obviously, I think, is education. Uh, a lot of opera companies are putting their education departments really in the forefront, which I think I think for the first time. Uh, and I, I speak with a little bit of bias here, having uh, worked for um, education departments at opera companies in the past. Um, uh, but uh, you always have them sort of working behind the scenes, but they seem to be kind of, uh, generally speaking, sort of, uh, underappreciated, I think it's safe to say, um, but in uh, America particularly, where you don't have a lot of emphasis on arts education, especially music in school systems, um, you uh, it's always been sort of on opera companies to sort of create the audience for themselves by doing, you know, in-school programs, uh, summer camps and things like that. Uh, but now, because a lot of those schools aren't doing that sort of thing, uh, you're having a lot more online content uh, generated by these uh, education departments, and um, we're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of 
stuff geared specifically toward kids, which I think is very, uh, very interesting. Um, LA Opera, just as a for instance, uh, has a tab for opera family time right next to a tab that says learn at home grown up edition. Uh, so they're just <laughs> putting them right next to each other, which I think is kind of fun. Um, Houston Grand what about, Opera uh, is doing. What about opera mommy and daddy time? <laughs> I mean, that, that's always the trick. As someone who's been a, a music educator, it is very difficult to oh. play a lot of the music I'm into without yeah. telling the students what exactly is happening. You don't want to scar the third graders with Electra, but sometimes you have to. Uh, <laughs> um, I also wanted to... I also wanted to point out Houston Grand Opera is even creating a virtual summer camp uh, in order to occupy quarantined music-loving kids via Zoom. Um, I, and I think that's actually kind of, a, uh, in some ways, a very positive thing because I feel like the, the engagement has always been there as far as education is concerned. But putting it in the forefront, making it more noticeable to donors, to people who can pay for this sort of thing, uh, it because in many ways it's like the least sexy um, uh, thing to try to support. Uh, oh, they're just going in and talking to kids about opera. But it's it's so so important when you know the onus is on these opera companies to teach kids about the arts, and I think it's a very valuable thing that is not um, is not well appreciated. There's one more category I want to talk about real quick. I know I feel like I've been talking for a long time already, uh, but I think the other big thing that I've noticed is um, a lot of stuff vil filmed by the artists themselves. We're seeing a lot of people putting up uh, more Instagram posts, more Facebook Live. People are starting TikToks all over the place. Twitter is, you know, on fire. I mean, I, I must have checked Twitter twice last week. <laughs> Um, and I think that's very significant because opera, more than most art forms, is one of the less um, accessible to an outsider who doesn't have any background in, in classical music. It requires very precise technique, singing older music sometimes that isn't necessarily immediately accessible. And, um, and, and even most, most opera companies still maintain that the proscenium space, there's literally a barrier between audience and singer in a way that you don't even see with a lot of live theater nowadays. When was the last time you saw a production that was fully proscenium in a really edgy theater company, for example? But it's such the norm in opera. And, um, and by removing those barriers through more engagement with your, uh, with your artists, you start to break down that facade of someone who's highly trained with this almost supernatural voice, and you kind of start to realize that they're people too. Do you know what I mean? Uh, it, it's it's perhaps a little bit less obvious to us as opera insiders to you know know these people personally. But speaking as someone who grew up in Alabama, uh, you know, with, with no really large opera companies in the general vicinity, whenever I saw a performance like that. It, it always seems so far removed from reality. And so much of media is being affected by this online trend of breaking down this facade and creating this air of vulnerability, personability, the, the idea that the person on the other end of the Instagram uh, is your friend that you just haven't met yet is something that I think 
will become very significant and it would have always become very significant in the opera. But the COVID crisis has really accelerated that to a point that I would be really interested to see how it uh, affects things uh, farther down the line. Um, and to me, I think that's sort of the big thing that I think is going to change in terms of audience engagement. Uh, it's going to be through these non-performative elements where it's just an opera singer on Instagram showing off their dog. Um, so I want to get... I think that it's something that's becoming more and more apparent in all media, but in opera, it's, it's going to change some things. I want to give Michael a chance to talk about what uh, Dallas Opera is doing and particularly what his objective is with The Quick. And then we could take the pin out of that one topic that was at the <laughs> top of this. Michael? Well, I mean, look, I've always, I mean, <laughs> like I've had an agenda of my own. You know, Oliver, like we've been talking for how many years now? And so you know what I'm about. You know what I've what I believe in. And when this whole thing happened, this whole COVID crisis happened, it sent every opera singer in the world screaming onto a space for which they are not suited. The digital space is not it's not adapted for us, man. It's not good for us. Uh, the 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 bandwidth of opera is epic in scale. And the bandwidth of fiber optics just can't handle that scale. And so what was attractive to me about what David and Dallas Upper were doing was they were using for, uh, formats that were already being used in the digital space. You know, podcasts and conversations and video interviews and live, com those things were already happening. So if you use those tools to talk about opera, what I, what I like to call a hashtag a productive nostalgia, <laughs> which is when you, you look back at, you know, you know, we have at a norm, we, we live, we're really fortunate to be opera singers in this time because our opera, opera people, because there's a, an enormous library of repertoire available to us that we can get delivered right through our digital screens, you know? So we like like this crisis sent us screaming out there like a bunch of junkies who 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 just lost their their drug dealer and then, <laughs> and had nothing to to give us our fix you know fans and and opera singers alike and so be, being able to use these tools that are already in the digital space to speak about opera and to remind everybody about just those magical moments that make an opera singer make all the kinds of sacrifices that we have to make in order to make this career go or or make a donor write a ridiculously large check for millions of dollars to produce opera in like some in like Nashville or somewhere. It's like, what drives these people to do something like that? Well, for me, that's what the quick's about. It's those moments that that make people do those kinds of things, those sort of extraordinary occurrences that are only can only be facilitated by uh, an art form as magical as opera. So. Yeah, it's just really sort of an attractive project to me. And the fact that, you know, they're, they're, what they're doing is they're putting a platform in place that will serve like a news network for opera. Long after COVID is over, there are going to be people doing talk shows on Dallas Opera about opera and about what's going to happen in Dallas and in the whole global community for, for years to come, long after this thing is over. So I, love, I really admire the, 
the the pluck that they had to to do something like that. So that is uh, the quick in a nutshell. That's your conversation, uh, which happens weekly, I guess. Is that when you how often you're doing your your show? Yeah, every every Thursday at nine o'clock, uh, they the, the episodes are made available on Dallas Opera's Facebook page. And so we've had guests from like I had. Uh, Laura Thompson, uh, who was the daughter of the longest held POW in American history, who I play her, her father and Glory Denied. And I had a conversation with her. I had a conversation with Dominic Johnson, who's a, a opera singer who's now become a, uh, a nurse and has used his opera skills to sing people as they make their final transition, sing to them as they make their final transition because they're alone. They have nobody with them. Uh, just conversations like that between like Matthew uh, Worth and Andy Wachowski about their connection during Silent Night. All these magical things that just, you know, make us all keep coming back for more. And what other offerings does, that, maybe you don't know all of them, but uh, what, were you part of the sort of planning, fleshing out of what Dallas Opera Network would be offering? No, I mean, I was I, I was part of the conversation. I mean, uh, David and I, talk a lot you know we've we're, we're sort of simpatico philosophically about where the business is going and what needs to happen and uh we talk a lot and we're really good friends so you know it just sort of there i mean there were a lot of obvious choices you know there are a lot of singers who had who had already tapped into the, the social media world and networks and had you know taken advantage of the, those tools that were already out there and had a, a pretty healthy following so it was pretty pretty uh a pretty natural choice to pick them. And uh, they have, you know, a lot of great things to say. And they, I mean, it was really interesting about that team is that it's, it's such a diverse group. You have people from the biggest stars to emerging stars to people who are working in the education department. It's just a, it's a really cool uh, insight into the industry. Well, before we let you go, I, I guess there's one more thing I want to talk to you about. Um, and this is a topic we, we brought up with Russell Thomas last week. Uh, and I think it's too early and it's not fair to really, you know, judge what people are doing with our limited understanding of video conferencing and overdubbing. But uh, what is sort of your opinion of some of these at-home performances that are either stitched together or coordinated, you know, um, and maybe performed live to various degrees of success? <laughs> How do you feel about some of this? I know you My began philosophy- to talk about- my philosophy is, you know, we do what we can with what we have while we can until we can do what we want with what we want when we want to do it. And some folks had that impulse to go out. I, I have not I have not been able to sing like that yet. I've had lots of offers of people that say, hey, would you come sing this part? It's going to be, there's a hundred people. No, man, I can't. I can't sing yet. You know? And, and I think that while I admire that, that, that I admire that, that, that there are people who, 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 who can do that. I, I can't yet. I, I, I get through a, my test is uh, Lean Away by Gene Shear. If I can get through that song, then I'm ready to go. I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it without choking up. And as far as, you know, who is, you know, there's a lot of competition out there to be first, be this first person has this idea, that idea. Look, nobody has an original idea. It's all in the zeitgeist. We're all just sort of pulling on threads. And, you know, three days after 9-11, the plastic sheeting salesman thought that they hit the 
jackpot. And a month later, it was like, what do we do with all this extra plastic sheeting? So in the beginning of a crisis, a lot, there's a lot of impulses that, that go whatever direction. We don't know which ones are going to be the valid ones and which ones aren't. And so for right now, I think we should experiment and do what we can. And, uh, and don't be too hard on folks that do things, you know, just make things. We're a, we're a creative people and our main outlet for creation has been stolen from us. And that's incredibly frustrating for everybody in this business. And, uh, you know, for a lot of us being able to create things and make art and sing and tell stories, uh, that keeps us sane. That keeps us sort of in between the mayonnaise and the mustard. And not having that is is really tough. So, uh, you know, I know it's you know, a lot of folks want to sit back and hug rocks and folks. And I've seen that done and I've probably done it myself. But, you know, folks just need to create and uh, we should uh, give folks a lot of grace who have enough guts to get out there and make things right now. All right. Well, on that sort of positive note, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Mike, Michael Mace, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we look forward to talking to you when you can promote something IRL. Uh, but in the meantime, we have the quick on the Dallas Opera Network. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me out here, man. This was really fantastic to talk to you. Oliver, it's so good to see you and talk to you again, man. It's been a long time. This is Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, Ashley Hardgrave, and Oliver the Man Camacho. This just in. The two-minute drill. All right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know about what happened in Opera Land this week. In an update to a story we had last week, did singing together spread coronavirus to four choirs? Fluid mechanics expert Professor Christian Kaler of the Military University of Munich was highly doubtful about the dangers posed by concerts and decided to conduct experiments in the wake of the Amsterdam outbreak to find out how far singers and musicians expel air and droplets. Look out for flutes, oboes, and clarinets. The conclusion was that singing might not be the super spreader. It's actually the socialization that comes along with it. Friend of the show, Zach Fickelstein, writing on MiddleClassArtist.com, scoops that Chicago Summer Opera, a pay-to-sing program, is canceling its 2020 summer season and refusing to provide an immediate refund of its $1,550 tuition to students. Is Yannick Nazese again underpaid? Or was his predecessor who must not be named overpaid? The Met's director's paycheck, the Met director's paycheck was made public when the company released its tax returns last Friday, which came in at $392,152, about a quarter of what he who shall not be named made during his last season. Says General Director Peter Gelb, his full-time duties as music director don't begin until next season, which will increase his pay. Filmmaker Ryan Johnson has been a fan of Christine Gerke since he saw her perform at the Met. Both are among the signers of a change.org petition penned by Metropolitan Opera Stage Manager, Manager Teresa Ganley, demanding that out-of-work film, theater, and opera artists continue to receive $600 per week boost, the $600 per week boost in unemployment insurance through January 2021. Currently, the boost is set to expire on July 31st. Teatro dell'Opera di Roma is planning a tentative comeback. The company hopes to put out an outdoor production of Rigoletto, limiting the number of attendees to 1,000 with assigned seating. 
A few days after the announcement, however, the company announced the cancellation of its normal normal summer season, leaving the future of this performance unclear. Hmm. A new documentary on Marian Anderson produced by PBS is underway. The film will chart how the pioneer overcame racial prejudice to become an internationally renowned star and voice for social justice. With the working title American Masters, Marian Anderson, The Whole World in Her Hands, the documentary promises unprecedented access to the Marian Anderson estate and will feature new interviews with friends, contemporaries, and those she influenced, including singers Denise Graves and George Shirley. Friends of the show Tapestry Opera have created a 2020-2021 season that is designed to withstand the uncertainty of the times ahead and will premiere new digital commissions, feature monthly live stream performances by leading theater and musical creators, and that should have been an and, not a comma. The season will culminate in a free in-person world premiere in June 2021. The 50th Annual Opera America Conference has moved online. Now in its second of four weeks, the virtual conference brings together the field's administrators, artists, and trustees for online presentations and interactive panel discussions. Originally informed by pre-pandemic discussions, the conference's four themes on the future of the art form take on new meaning and new relevance as the field charts its course forward. More than 100 opera singers came together for a virtual performance of Light Shall Lift Us by composer Paul Morovich and librettist friend of the show, Mark Campbell, on Opera America's YouTube page. A link to that moving performance will be on our website, perhaps. Exit stage right, French baritone... Oh, I should change the tone of that. Exit stage right. French baritone Gabriel Baquet died last week, just a few days before his 96th birthday. Renowned for his interpretation of French repertoire, he leaves a large collection of recorded works, including Otello, Don Giovanni, Les Nantes de Figaro, Manon, Thaïs, and Les Contes Hoffman. Conductor and Professor Stanley Curtis died last month at the age of 86 from COVID-19. Curtis performed several notable choral works across his career, including the premiere of Schoenberg's Jacob's Ladder, before spending 25 years as conductor of the Warwick Valley Chorale in New York. American-based John McCurdy died early this month at the age of 91. He performed in a staggering 1,001 performances at the Met across 35 seasons. He could be seen most frequently as the commendatorian Don Giovanni, which he sang for the Met 75 times, Crespel in the Contafman, the Old Hebrew in Samson and Delilah, Zarastro, King Heinrich, Fer Laurent, and Sparafucile. German baritone Claudio Nicolai died last week at 91. Uh, his September 22, 1964 debut at Opera Köln launched a 25-year career with a company that would last 1,066 performances. Harry Bialor, Polish composer and Holocaust survivor, died earlier this month at the age of 90 from COVID-19. Bialor's first opera, Masada, was composed at the age of 82. Belarusian conductor and arranger Walter Minastakhanov has died at age 85. His credits as an arranger include Russian composer Anton Oreski's opera, Raphael, and Dmitry Borostovsky's baritone arias. As a conductor, he recorded film music composed by Shostakovich from his own arrangements. Swedish designer and director Matthias Klassen has died at age 56. Since 1963, Klassen worked on over 100 opera, ballet, theater, and musical productions in Sweden and elsewhere. And Italian tenor and teacher Angelo Loforese has died at the age of 100. He sang in over 80 operas after his debut all the way back in 1948. And on this day, May 8th, 
16th, it was a big day for first performances, the premiere of Vivaldi's Griselda in Venice in 1735, of Gluck's Amphigenie en Torride in Paris in 1779, of Rossini's Demetrio e Polibio, Polibio in Rome in 1812, of Aubert's Zanetta in 1840 in Paris, of Adam's Le Toréador in Paris in 1849, of Chabrier's Le Roi, Roi Malgue Louis at the Opera Comique in Paris in 1887, of Stravinsky's opera, what opera of Stravinsky? It's not here. Somebody look that up in 1992. Renard. Renard, thank you. Of Douglas Moore's The Devil and Daniel Webster in New York City in 1939, of Dalla Piccola's Volo di Notte in Florence in 1944, of Hans Werner Hentz's Moralities, which is not an opera, in Cincinnati in 1968. Of Philip Glass's Fall of the House of Usher, one of Ashley's favorite, in Cambridge in 1988. Of Philip Glass's chamber opera Les Enfants Terribles in Switzerland in 1996. And there were two bass birthdays in 1892, Italian bass Enzio Pinza in Rome. And in 1914, Bulgarian bass Boris Kristof in Plodviv in Bulgaria. And that's your 10-minute drill. Gabriel Baquet singing Chanty le Diamant from Le Comte d'Offman. Some hot takes, guys. I think, that, I, I think it was a 10 minute drill just with all the premieres. Oh Apparently, gosh. May 18th is the day to do it. Yes. <laughs> or maybe the day to not do it so you don't have to be part of a future two minute drill. Just as a personal favor to us, please do not premiere your opera on May 18th. Yes. Um, Anybody want to jump in on one of these stories before we wrap up this show? Yeah, I would like to uh, talk a little bit about this uh, 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 this study from Christian Kaler in Munich. Uh, this is uh, an interesting one because as uh, everyone will remember from last week, we had the rather depressing two-minute drill uh, with the panel discussion that concluded it would be 18 to 24 months before uh, we could safely have a performance. Um, and this is an interesting, uh, an interesting study that regardless of which one is right, uh, or if either of them are right even, it's still a good reminder that we're still learning so much about the virus, uh, how, how it spread, that there is still some room for for different possibilities. Um, this was uh, uh, obviously, I think that you know, when people read the headline, they're like, they say, "Oh, this is this is really good news." It's not necessarily because you still have to take into account uh, instruments. For example, uh, the piccolo um, and the flute, rather, um, uh, creates a great deal of dispersal of water droplets and um, and while many or- orchestrators would uh, welcome the chance to uh, lose the piccolo and 
upper wind winds. Uh, it's not something you ne- that, that it was something that you would be lost. I think is fair to say. No Rossini um, overtures. So, so th- I think the news itself is not explicitly good news. Obviously, this is one study. I don't even know how uh, official it is. I don't know if it's peer reviewed, um, but it it is a good reminder that when you hear the doom and gloom, there is a possibility that some sort of ingenuity could create a workaround for it that could get things up and running sooner, safely. Um, safety first, obviously, even if it takes two years. <laughs> and that, and that's honestly just like, it serves as a good reminder that the fact that we're all still stuck in these, I mean, even in the states that are re- starting to reopen, we're stuck in this social distancing, which is a means to an end and not an end in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and since... You know, time has ceased to have all meaning. It can, it can be hard to remember that that we're doing this in order to figure out how to move on to the next phase, uh, and so that 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 is the source of hope in and of itself. Yeah, I mean, we obviously there's still the need for testing and testing orchestras and choristers before they enter into rehearsal is probably not high on the priority list of most you know, governments. Um, and wh- when are we going to have a test that even works that fast so that you can show up to your, you know, choir rehearsal and do like a quick swab up the nose and get an instant result, you know? And how much will that be, you know? And will we have to start factoring that into the cost of rehearsal, the cost of, of, of being an artist, you know? We have no idea. It's very much, uh, it's very much, you know, a conundrum that I think every industry is going to be facing very soon. Um, if they're not already. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's, uh, it's, it, there's going to be some bubbles. There's going to be some, I think some overly optimistic, uh, changes to towards opening things up. And there's going to be some things that may maybe over cautious. Um, but in either case, we, we've got to make sure that, people are taking care of as much as possible as uh, Christina Gerke and uh, Ryan Johnson both agree. <laughs> Ryan Johnson, I would watch an opera that he directed just from watch, just from knives out alone. You can tell that that's a man who knows his way around an oh. opera. <laughs> oh, could you imagine knives out as an opera? Oh, Oh, like a comic. Op- oh, Oh man. Oh, the possibilities. <laughs> I'm so excited. So um, um, we just I want to hit a couple of things. The Marion Anderson documentary, there's no release date for that. But I feel like it's already been filmed because they have so much information about who has been interviewed and whatnot. So hopefully they'll get that uh, out to us soon. I would really love to see that. We will definitely will bring that up again when that does get a release date. Um, the Chicago Summer Opera, Pay to Sing, there's a little bit more detail to that story than just the headline we gave you. You should check out middleclassartist.com to see the whole discussion about if, if that. You, if you aren't following middleclassartist.com already, what are you even doing? <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe to that bad boy. And what can we possibly do to change your mind at this point? <laughs> um, so, guys, any, anything else before we go to Good Call, Bad Call? There were some interesting numbers in that uh, AP story about Yannick Nézé-Séga. And first, it was weird to compare the numbers of his partial salary. It, I, I can't tell from the wording of this article, the initial paragraphs on this article, whether they're comparing apples and oranges even. Um, 
But the number that really jumped out at me was just how many, even with all of these free streams available, the number of subscriptions of the Met On Demand has more than doubled since COVID broke out from yeah. 15,000 to 33,000 people. Hmm. That's, uh, it's significant. Uh, and I think, uh, I mean, not super surprising because I feel like people are being exposed by getting the free streams every night. They're like, oh, maybe I should watch some other things on this for just a, a small amount of month. Um, and I think that uh, having uh, having that as sort of advertisement is something that I think a lot of opera companies are starting to realize they should have had some sort of streams available all along. Do you know what I mean? Um because th this is the kind of thing where you uh, that pushes engagement. Uh, I was more interested in um, how much he made at the Philadelphia Orchestra, uh, like over a million dollars last year. That's that. That's it's that. A ma it's a major orchestra. Yeah. It's and th those salaries are usually some sort of combination of performance responsibilities, fundraising responsibilities, administrative right. responsibilities, uh, and. And when you're doing that job at four different companies at the same time, that both the number of hours you're spending and the dollars you're raking in can add up significantly. It's one of those things where, you know, you, 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 you wonder about the necessity of spending that much on a music director. I mean, nothing against Yannick. I think he's fantastic. Uh, but it's... Uh, it, you just, you know, when you have situations where you have part-timers, freelancers um, struggling to get by, it, it can be, feel a little bit insulting to give uh, a lot of money, especially when, you, when in hindsight your previous music director was, uh, shall we say, uh, a bit of a monster. <laughs> well, I think we did a whole... Uh, podcast about the million dollar arm and the fees mm -hmm. of conductors but um we don't have to rehash that right now especially since we know that like college football coaches uh typically earn way more than you know, pro professors and whatnot so um, all right good call bad call on opera box score who's got a good call this week i've got a good call uh, some of my friends and I are trying to keep ourselves stimulated uh, during quarantine, and we've started a classic musicals book club now that there's so much stuff available online uh, where we're going to all get together on a Zoom call and uh, not only ferociously nitpick, but also just kind of rag on each other and do it all to the soundtrack of a classic musical or opera, depending on the week. So recommend that for... For you all out there, our listeners who are looking to stay engaged. Oh, you're not inviting your listeners to be a part of your book club. <laughs> I don't. I don't have the Zoom link, so I can't do it. You know, I'm not <laughs> all seven <laughs> We'll post the Zoom link on our website, and you can enter without <laughs> telling Matt beforehand. Uh, I have a good call. Uh, we already mentioned it a little bit in Two Minute Drill, um, but the Light Shall Lift Us uh, performance uh, is genuinely very moving, um, and it's. It's a great example of something that in the world of COVID that, that is being done that could not really be done live. That amount of singers uh, of that high caliber all singing at the same time, there were some genuine goosebump raising moments 
uh, in that piece. And I think it's uh, a really good reminder that even within these new limitations, really moving art can still be created. Well, you're editing the show, so I'm going to allow you a chance to insert some of that right now. Two quick ones. Um, if you're listening to the show on the day that it drops, Wednesday, May 20th, uh, don't forget that tonight is Opera Atelier's Together Apart Gala at their website. Check it out. I love that company. And kudos to friend of the show, Harry Rose, who won Georgetown University's Dante Award for an Italian major demonstrating outstanding academic performance. I'm not sure if he's graduated from college this year or not, but um, gosh, I feel so old. I mean, we talked to him when he was still an opera teen, and now he's winning awards at Georgetown <laughs> University. So Now he's an opera man. Yes, exactly. He's an opera young adult. All right, that's it for this week's edition of America's Talk radio show about opera. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. He's at voxershorts.com, V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts on Twitter. We're at Opera Box Score, despite what my colleagues would say, at Opera Box Score. This podcast version of our show is available wherever you get your pods. Creative consultant for Opera Box Score, Oliver Camacho. Thanks again to our guest, Michael Mays. For Matt Cummings and Weston Williams, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera around your Memorial Day weekend barbecue. We're back with an all-new podcast next Tuesday, May 26th. More opera news, more hot takes, more hot dogs. Join us. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. First and foremost, in these surreal times, I hope that you and the people that you love are healthy and safe. Here at the OBS, we continue to do our show, and we're continuing to document all things opera-related in the time of corona, and we want to hear your voice. Are you an employee of the opera world whose work has been affected by COVID-19, a singer who has lost a job or gained a different job, a fan who's desperate to see something live in person and can't? Let us know how you're coping with your own shelter-in-place order. Send your message or your voice memo up to 60 seconds to operaboxscore at gmail.com and we might feature you on our show. We want to hear from you.